I mean, it's it's almost it's almost too much pain to even record mm-hmm. this podcast right now. It's so severe. It's so it's heart wrenching. I don't know if I can do it. Tough tough day at the office for you, to say the least. I mean, so have you ever seen that video of the martial arts kung fu master who like repeatedly just smashes himself in the nuts over and over again, just like brutally bashing his own balls for like two minutes straight? Yeah. That's what the slate felt like to me. Just complete and utter self-sabotage. Destruction by my own hands. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that that's DFS, though. Sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. And it just didn't go our way today. And we just have to live with the results and, and look forward to uh, next week, week 16, almost done with the season. And hopefully we can get back into the W column next week. I hope so. <laughs> God. <laughs> Brutal. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 119 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap week 15 in the NFL from a DFS perspective. We'll talk about the highly owned cash game plays, the decision points you had to make around them, as well as our results. We'll talk about the million dollar lineup on DraftKings, what it took to win a million DK. And of course, we'll close out the show with some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. But before we get into any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can help support the podcast by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out all links to all of our content, whether that be videos, articles, clips, etc. Everything gets tweeted out. So make sure you are following us over on Twitter. And then you can also help support us by just making sure you are subscribed to the podcast. So if you're listening to this right now, there's a subscribe button or follow button right down below the episode. So make sure you just hit that button for us. It helps us out a lot and then speaking of subscribing you can go over to our youtube channel at the dfs dose we just hit 150 subscribers over there so we're gaining subscribers every single day and you know let's try and get to 160 subscribers so i think we can do it and that is another way to help support us and then the final way is you could join our free discord chat link down below in the description we talk about DFS every single day, main slates, the two-game slate that we had on Saturday. We talk about players. We talk about the lineups that we might run in cash, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you join that. It's free, and it is a really great chat. So make sure you join down below in the description. Absolutely. Now let's get into this week 15 slate. We're going to start off with the highly owned cash game plays, and then we'll transition into our results. So starting off with these popular cash options and looking at the ownerships from the $25 single entry double up on DraftKings.com. The chalk at running back, Alvin Kamara unsurprisingly dominated ownership, 75% owned. Derrick Henry Coming in behind him at 55.9, Tony Pollard, 31.8, and Leonard Fournette, 25. 
59.8. At wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk was the highest owned by a decent margin, 59.2, with Emmanuel Sanders soaking up a lot of the ownership as a primary value on the slate, 47.1%, with Lynn Bowden at 28.9%, bringing up the rear. Jalen Hurts was the most highly owned quarterback, 28.4%. A lot of people played Lamar as well, who was about 20%, so roughly 50% of the field between those two guys. Cole Komet was the primary tight end option on the slate at 30.2, with guys like Travis Kelsey and Jared Cook, each accounting for roughly 18% each. The cash line in that double up was 157. It was similar across all single entry double ups on DraftKings. Joey, how did you do on the slate? And do you even know how you did on the slate? (laughs) Definitely don't know how I did because I got locked out of my account around four (laughs) o'clock ish. So I was on my computer trying to log into the DraftKings on the computer because I was letting my phone charge, which is where I usually look at all of the stats and whatnot is on my phone, but it was dead. So I went to the computer, uh, tried to log in, forgot the password, then it locked me out of my account saying that I tried one too many times, even though I only tried to enter it mm. one time. Uh, so that's a tough scene. Added up my lineup though. So I know my lineup scored 151 points. Added it up from the Yahoo, uh, PPR database, whatever. So 151 points. Don't know how much I lost in terms of, uh, money. Don't know the win rates for my head to heads and cash games, but definitely assuming that it was an L. So tough week and. I just, I I like my lineup and I felt that it was good for cash games and just didn't, didn't work out this week. So not much to complain about. And I I guess it kind of helps when you can't see how much money you actually lost. I wish I had that problem. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice. I might lock myself out of DraftKings tonight. Just, just for the, for the sake of that. I mean, so you used Yahoo to calculate your scores. Did you remember to account for the bonuses? Cause maybe you actually sailed to the money. If you forgot well, to add the bonuses in. I mean, I could have added it up wrong. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that only Henry, because I played Henry, I think he was the only one who got the bonus, and I'm not sure if I added that in or not. I think I did. Uh, I, I can't remember. I still think I will lost either way because only one of my players uh, got the bonus, and that was Henry. Uh, so that's a tough scene. It is a tough scene indeed. So you put up about 151. I was I was about six points under you at 145.9, good for a 13% total win rate. And what I was talking about at the top of the show with the self-sabotage, I mean, I was behind going into the 4 p.m. games. And I had Jalen Hurts, and at quarterback, I was expecting him to be massive chalk. And I uh, decided to switch off him. One for one switch for none other than Drew Brees and God. I mean, when you look at the results after, it was just just a god-awful decision. I gave up about 20 points in a 1v1 swap where I opted to get off of the electric rookie and get on to the old man, the old washed-up <laughs> scrub coming off of 11 broken ribs. And at that point, I kind of just felt like I deserved to lose. So I wasn't mad at anybody but myself. But let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Let's start there because he was the most highly owned quarterback in cash games. I got off of him because of a chalk pivot and I was behind going into the games. You didn't play him, period. So neither of us were on Jalen Hurts, who had an absolutely monster day, put up 40 points, had four touchdowns, hit the 300-yard bonus, added like 60 yards on the ground rushing, just just a monster day, and we weren't on it. Talk about Jalen Hurts. 
Yeah, Jalen Hurts was one of the best quarterback plays on the board this week at 5900 just a cheap price tag for a player who we could project to have you know a solid rushing floor as well as his passing stats right in a great spot in a dome against Arizona and for me I had him in all week but up until 1130 on Sunday today when we got the uh, Tony Pollard news that Zeke was going yeah. to be inactive so the build that I originally had was Hurts Henry, Kamara, Jonathan Taylor. So I opted to pay down to Tony Pollard off Jonathan Taylor, which ended up being what? A $2,000 savings. So I had $2,000 extra to spend in my lineup specifically. So I was like, you know what? Might as well upgrade to the best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. Um, Maybe I was a little too high on Mahomes. He ended up scoring 26 points in this spot against a tough Saints defense. Could have scored a little bit more, but he decided to pitch the ball to Le'Veon Bell. That's a tough scene. Yeah, but maybe I was a little too high on Mahomes, but I'm never fading Mahomes based on matchup, and I I was still fine with playing him. It was either him or Lamar for me, and in the end, it would have made a difference who I went with, uh, unless it was Kyler or Hurts. And yeah, that's why I didn't play... Hurts was just mainly because of how my lineup was constructed, paying up to a quarterback and then playing the value wide receivers and playing Tony Pollard. Yeah, so I mean, Tony Pollard was definitely a slate changing bit of news that we got on Sunday morning. And I think that he actually came in relatively low owned in cash games relative to where he should have been. Like if we had gotten this news, say on Saturday afternoon instead of Sunday morning, an hour and a half before lock, I think he would have been you know, probably the second highest owned running back behind Alvin Kamara. Instead, he comes in at 31.8%, which, you know, that's that's chalky. That's highly owned, but not as much as it should be because, I mean, this is a guy who is getting the Ezekiel Elliott role plus because, you know, Pollard already had an established role in that offense with Zeke ruled out for injury. Pollard was an easy projection to see 80 plus percent of snaps, realistically 90 plus percent. He is on paper a better receiving option and we saw that play out. He did get his day bailed out a little bit by a late touchdown, but you know, I won't call it garbage time because they were still competitive at that point. They won the game off of it. Tony Pollard finished with 12 attempts for 69 yards, two rushing touchdowns, had six for 63 receiving on nine targets. This was the best fantasy game for a Dallas running back all season. Tony Pollard in his first start outproducing Ezekiel Elliott on the year in a single game. Yeah, Tony Pollard is a very good NFL running back with Zeke being the starter uh, to start the season. I thought Tony Pollard was one of the best backups in the NFL, if not the best backup running back in the NFL. And he finally got his chance, his opportunity to showcase what he can do. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a more even split. I know they kind of started trending towards that, but I would not be surprised at all if that carries over into next season with him and Zeke uh, splitting touches in that Cowboys backfield yeah once he became available I literally locked him into every lineup like I played him in every main slate tournament lineup played him in a couple early only played him in cash obviously and he ended up smashing it was fortunate that he scored that touchdown at the end of the game but he was still doing relatively well even without that touchdown so it was still a pretty solid play yeah I mean he he was just a a great play and was not owned at all he was like 30% in cash like 20 
20%, you know, he even got to 10% in some of the bigger large field tournaments at the lower stakes. So he was just an overall smash play. And that just goes to show you how many people aren't paying attention on Sunday morning. Yeah. In retrospect, what NFC East contract do you think is worse? Zeke Elliott, six years for 60 million or Carson Wentz, four-year extension for 154 million? Definitely Carson Wentz. (laughs) Boy, is god-awful, and he's getting outplayed by a rookie. Severely outplayed. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, tough scene for the Eagles and the Cowboys there. (laughs) Very... Just terrible contracts. Like, teams are just so dumb. You know, speaking of the Pollard news and how we reacted to it, so you went down from JT and up from Hertz to Mahomes. I handled the news. I mean, Pollard, clear luck. Joey outlined it perfectly. Um, and, and what I did was opt to get off of Derrick Henry and up from, you know, I had T.Y. Hilton slated in there. That could have easily been Marvin Jones. I mean, it should have been Marvin Jones, but I opted to go up to Tyreek Hill instead Felt like he was a great play, felt like he was potentially even a better play than he was last week due to Devontae Adams being off of the slate and kind of, you know, having him having the top end of the wide receiver position to himself as the elite option. So I thought Hill was a priority here. The Saints had been getting beat deep especially even though their defense was relatively strong and that's where Hill excels. He didn't quite get there. I mean, he had a decent game for his standards, but um, ultimately I decided to get off Henry because I thought that Pollard, Jonathan Taylor, even Cam Akers, Leonard Fournette was in play. Um, Alvin Kamara, obviously a stone lock. So it just made Henry less of a priority for me. Um, You, however, opted to stick with Derrick Henry. How do you feel about that in retrospect? I believe he was still the best play out of every running back. Uh, maybe besides Kamara, I think Kamara was a little bit better with Drew Brees back. But Henry was easily just as good as Kamara, I think. In a great spot at home on a team, obviously, where he's the focal point of the offense. And he's just a, a smash play every single week. And he scored 28 points. Pretty good game. 147 good game. yards, touchdown, couple catches. He ran terrible. Like, <laughs> this is a game where Henry realistically could have scored 40 plus but then you got Ryan Tannehill two rushing touchdowns one from the 17 yard line one from the three yard line okay we'll deal with that then the game gets kind of close at the end they have the backup running back in he scores a three yard catch okay (laughs) god like if any one of those goes to Henry I cash any one of those touchdowns go to Henry I'm selling you know uh, I'm not I'm not living on the streets, but now I got to look for my new home under a bridge somewhere <laughs> because of Mike Vrabel. So Mike Vrabel can eat a fat dick, to be honest. About to be rifling through the garbage can looking for some some McDonald's fries. Someone swear to behind. God, <laughs> swear to God, like it's tough out here. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's nothing more brutal than having Derrick Henry in your lineup and then watching Darrington Evans get two very inefficient carries inside the five-yard line, just running like, directly into the back of the offensive line, getting no push. I mean, Derrick Henry gets those in nine out of ten times. Yeah, like, it just made no sense to me why they had the back of running back in in a relatively close game. Like, I think it was 14 points at that point with, like, five or six minutes left, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah, they just opted to go with Evans. He he got stuffed, and then he got stuffed again, and then he got a touchdown catch. So, shout out to him. Shout out to Mike Rabel for being 
Yeah, not even going to say it. So, you know, initially I had sort of thought that Leonard Fournette ran extremely hot. And to a certain extent, he did, scoring two rushing touchdowns. But Leonard Fournette's workload was there. Like, if you told me before the slate locked that he was going to get 17 touches, he was going to get 19 attempts at 4,500, then I think I would have played him in cash. I honestly do. I mean, I underrated his potential workload, and that was one of the biggest decision points on the slate, I think, was whether or not you believed in Leonard Fournette being the lead back like he turned out to actually be. You know, Tony Pollard's availability made it less of a question. If Tony Pollard hadn't come available, I think Leonard Fournette would have been one of the most owned players on the slate, period. I think a lot of that 31 0.8% own that we saw Pollard soak up in cash games kind of were from the people who were uncomfortably playing Leonard Fournette or considering him and they were just like all right I'm gonna go with Pollard instead it feels safer feels more secure but Fournette's workload actually turned out to be there yeah it definitely did turn out to be there 100% and I guess in hindsight the most optimal lineup construction was playing Pollard and Fournette in the same lineup with Henry Mm -hmm. Uh, you would have you would have smashed if you did that but the way that the lineup construction worked out this week is you only needed to play one because there was so much wide receiver value with Emmanuel Sanders Traquan Smith if you wanted to go there Lynn Bowden Michael Gallup had a had like what 18 percent in terms of ownership in cash games so Lynn Bowden like you just said 28 percent so with the amount of value at wide receiver you didn't have to play both of them so I guess it was just which one you preferred and you got a $700 discount off of Pollard to Fournette, but I thought Pollard was an infinitely better play, and I still believe that Fournette ran hot. Fournette is one of the more inefficient running backs in the NFL, and obviously him getting two one-yard touchdowns like is extremely, extremely fluky. Tom Brady throws it to Mike Evans. He goes down at the one. He throws it to Antonio Brown. He goes down at the one and then Leonard Fournette scores two touchdowns. Like you just needed that to happen and it did, which is good. But if we play this slate over again, I'm not playing Fournette. Ever. Even if you know, even if you know he's getting 17. If touches. he, if I know that he's getting, yeah, if I know that he's getting 14 carries three t- and three catches, but we have Pollard at 5,200, I'm not playing Fournette. Yeah. I don't think I am either because of the strength of the position. I mean, we haven't even really talked about Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers. Obviously, Akers ran extremely poorly, or maybe he didn't. Maybe we just overvalued the spot. But I mean, how could you not as 17-point home favorites against the Jets? But, you know, Jonathan Taylor, he ended up dominating snaps. I think he out-touched Hines like 20-7 to or something like that. And So those guys were strong plays, and even if you tell me that Fournette is going to get those touches with a question mark at the touchdown spot, I'm going to bet on the under on two touchdowns. I might bet the under on one because he's so inefficient, but still, it's it's fine. It's fine. You you got it right if you played him. I I won't call you a fish for it because it's not like like you had... Nah, you definitely suck. If you play Leonard Fournette in cash, you definitely suck at DraftKings, and I want your action every week if I can get my account unlocked. (laughs) no cap like he was not a good play and we were on it we no, like I mean, we yeah. were we were on it i tweeted about it we talked about it in the in the chat 
we were not playing Fournette. We were skeptical on the preview podcast, and he wasn't a good play, even at 4,500. Like, this, like, I'm sorry. Like, he just sucks. Even though I was on him for redraft and best ball, that was more so because of his projected volume. And it's kind of like a the volume will get him there type thing uh, in fantasy. But obviously, DFS in one game, in a, in a one gamer, he sucks. And he was a bad play. And if you played him, you got bailed out and you should be happy about that. All right. Well, hopefully you'll be able to take Joey up. If if you don't like what he's saying, hit him up with the head to head invite, or maybe he'll have to just make a new account and we'll announce that next week. Um, <laughs> so you can see so you guys can find him. Let's move on to the million dollar lineup. And we're going to look at the winner of the $10 million DraftKings. There were two this week. There was the $1,500 and the $10. But focusing on the $10, this week's winner comes from user Hudson one Interesting lineup here. Very contrarian. Jalen Hurts naked. No bring back. No DeAndre Hopkins in this lineup. He had a three-player correlation from the Titans game with DeAndre Swift as sort of a leverage play off of uh, Derrick Henry. Marvin Jones and Corey Davis as correlated plays in that. He had two Bears Offensive players, David Montgomery and Darnell Mooney had Calvin Ridley as a one-off with Logan Thomas, the GOAT at tight end, going against his own defense, Seattle, as a bit of (laughs) a negative correlation to cap things off. All in all, 237.32 points, 66% cumulative ownership, which is kind of crazy. That's like half of what you think as an expected winner of a tournament like this. He faded every single bit of chalk on this slate besides Jalen Hurts, but even Hurts only came in at 11% in the milli. And Hurts was his highest owned player at 11%. Everybody else was under 11% owned in this in this lineup. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And I didn't expect Hurts to be that low owned in the milli. If he was 30% cash and 11% in tournaments, like it's kind of weird to me. But nonetheless, um, I, I still think it's a good lineup. Um, I don't I don't hate it too much. It's not as bad as the lineup that won last week. I will say that. And we've seen what, like three or four weeks straight of lineups having under 100 percent or even under what, like 80 percent cumulative ownership like over the last month. Uh, so it's it's been a lot of contrarian lineups winning the Millie Maker. And he, he made some good leverage plays. Obviously, Derrick Henry was one of the highest owned players on the slate, uh, decided to play Corey Davis and DeAndre Swift and Marvin Jones in that game instead of Derrick Henry. So I like that. David Montgomery was in a great spot. Nobody was going to play him because he was above 7K. Darnell Mooney and an an explosive rookie who has a very bright future. I like him a lot. Calvin Ridley was one of the best plays on the board if you take away salary going up against a Bucks defense that has gotten beat by opposing wide receivers. With no Julio, we know that he is a usage usage monster. I think obviously a, a player going up against your defense is negatively correlated, but I think that's kind of mitigated with a tight end because the tight end pool is so weak that I think you can get away with it. And I, he definitely ran hot with Logan Thomas getting, what, 17 targets, 16? 15, yeah. 15 targets in the in this spot, uh, which is kind of nutty, but solid play at 4K. And Seattle D was a good play too, so I, I think it was a solid lineup. So shout out to Jay Hudson, million dollars richer. 
Yeah, I don't think it was bad either. I mean, Jalen Hurts naked was what I touted at the end of our preview podcast. Um, and the only thing that I think would have made this like a better lineup from like a pre-lock process type standpoint would have just been playing DeAndre Hopkins as the bring back opposed to Calvin Ridley as a one-off. He still would have won with that, even though Hopkins scored like a point less. It just would have been a little bit cleaner of a correlation. But I mean, what do I know? I'm not a millionaire. This man is. So shout out to him. The only thing that I took away from this really was that I would be interested to see next offseason some of the research that people do on Millie Maker winners, because I think there's been some really interesting trends this year. We've seen a lot more two tight ends. I think we've seen more lineups that don't bring players back and you know a lot of people who research this stuff like we talked about it in the offseason what kind of trends you look for in terms of the winners of these large field tournaments these super large field tournaments and it's kind of like we looked at those notes as like a like a blueprint like a map on how to do it but when you think about it that data only covers a couple of years which is you know in the grand scheme of life a very small sample size so it's not shocking to think the overarching trends will change as we have more millimaker winners each and every single year and that you know over time it'll actually become more accurate as to what the true better builds are especially when DraftKings does things like change the min price salaries of certain positions like you know in the past running back was down to 3k now it's up to 4k and tight end is down to 2.5k now and so we see stuff like that and you know potentially that makes a lot of sense as to why it would change it and why tight ends would be you know in there more as two tight end stacks so I, I all in all i just am interested to see what the research brings next year and what we see as this develops over time in in terms of the the winning millimaker trends yeah um, I, I just think it's been a year to kind of get away from the trends, to be honest, like the previous year trends and fade good plays, fade the chalk plays and, and make some uh, weird lineups and get different. It's been winning and it's been winning for the last, what, six weeks, yeah. five, five, six weeks where... You know, everybody's looking to correlate and do a bunch of bringbacks and full-on game stack. Well, that's not winning right now. And we talked about on the last review podcast uh, that we kind of just have to acknowledge that moving forward and with two weeks left. I think this is just the time to start getting crazy with your uh, tournament lineups and start looking to bink some of these large field tournaments because we only have two more weeks of big main slates left in 2020. Sad to think about only a couple more opportunities to make myself homeless and lose all the money that I have to my name. We'll see how that goes over week 16, 17, and deep into the playoffs. That's the great thing about DFS. We got playoff slates too. Let's move on to interesting stats and storylines and I want to kick it off with Alvin Kamara who we briefly referenced already but you know Kamara was kind of the lock of all locks he was sort of out of play at the beginning of the week I don't think we even you know really acknowledged him as a phenomenal play on our preview podcast that we recorded on Wednesday evening but on Friday Michael Thomas gets ruled out we find out that Drew Brees is going to be back in the lineup which we interpret as a huge boost for Alvin Kamara, you know, no Michael Thomas. Drew Brees is more likely to dump off to Alvin Kamara than Taysom Hill would have been. Alvin Kamara is just not priced to reflect that information at 7,400. He kind of becomes the clear-cut best play on the slate, and then he fails. I mean, 
you know, he didn't put up 10 points, but he puts up 18. He doesn't 3x his salary. And for a player who kind of was set up in the dream spot, a line that looks like 11 attempts for 54 yards and only three receptions for 40 yards and a touchdown, it's just not appealing. Why do you think that Kamara failed in this spot? Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is because Taysom Hill and Latavius Murray scored two touchdowns. Uh, Latavius had that little screen pass touchdown that he kind of squeaked in there. And then Taysom Hill, who the Saints just have this weird infatuation with, had that rushing touchdown whenever he had that. And obviously, if those touchdowns are going to those guys, they're not going to Kamara. And that's just a tough scene. He just wasn't utilized in this game. I, I don't know why. I thought Drew Brees was going to target him a lot. Only had six. Drew Brees was very inefficient. The whole same offense was inefficient in this game so I think all of those were reasons why Alvin Kamara failed but it was just a bad game for the Saints if we, if we run this slate back again I don't think he scores 18 points uh in a good spot in a high totaled game and it ended up what having over 60 points total so yeah just a good process play and bad results. I think we might have overvalued the return of Drew Brees <laughs> because Drew, Drew Brees comes back and we're all like, all right, bet. Big boost for everybody. Let's play every saint on the board. Alvin Kamara, jam him in. Jared Cook, jam him in. Emmanuel Sanders, 34-year-old, complete dust, jam him in. Stone chalk. Traquan Smith, done absolutely nothing all season, all of his career, Jam them in, 20% owned in cash. Let's get every saint in there because Drew Brees, age 43, coming off of 11 broken ribs, is back in the lineup. No <laughs> shot. Absolutely no shot. That was just, yeah. I, I think that we all completely overvalued it. And and let's be honest, like, you know, we make fun of Taysom Hill. We say the Saints have a weird infatuation with him. We say that he's out there running routes. He's Michael Thomas's backup as much as he's Drew Brees' backup, yada, yada, yada. Drew Brees is the worst quarterback on this roster. I think Taysom Hill gives the Saints clearly a better offense. I think that if you put Jameis Winston in there, he gives the, the Saints a better offense. I mean, Drew Brees, who's, you know, Mark, who's what has made him a Hall of Famer up to this point has been his accuracy, right? And just the absolute pinpoint accuracy. He, he completed 44% of his passes today. He looked abysmal out there. It's time. It's tent mm -hmm. time. Get off the field. Get in the booth. I know you have that deal signed with NBC. It's time. That's all I have to say. It's time. He needs to be off the football field. And there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you didn't have to say it like that, but you're not Maybe wrong. I'm tilted because I pivoted and I played him in cash, but <laughs> goddamn, come on. I mean, he's definitely toast. You know, he's he's the definition of dust. Uh, some people still believe that he is a top quarterback in the NFL, which he's not. If you actually watch football and know football, he is not a top quarterback anymore. He needs to retire, but they're kind of committed to him at this point. So I don't think that they will bench him in favor of Hill or Winston. So this is obviously Drew Brees' team moving forward, and they're hoping that he can lead them to another Super Bowl win, which I don't think he can. Uh, maybe we'll see, but yeah, Drew Brees is definitely done. And then just in regards to jamming everybody in, yeah, I mean, I thought Trey Quan was a bad play just because he literally has never done anything um, besides maybe one game where he caught Drew Brees' record-breaking touchdown or yards or whatever it was. 
in that uh, Monday night game against Washington. But other than that, he hasn't really done much. Jared Cook, I thought Komet was a little bit better for cheaper. So I didn't feel the need to play those guys. Sanders, I thought, was a, a fine play as the wide receiver won 4200 cheap price tag on him, and he just fit he just fit the optimal construction. So I was fine with Sanders and Camaro. The other two guys, not so much. But all in all, Drew Brees is trash, and he is done in the league after this season 100%. He needs to uh, get next to, what's his face, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels. They need to make room for Drew Brees next year. Yeah, get them squished in right in there. It'll be a happy little family on Sunday nights. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about somebody who is not washed. You know, after sort of a rocky start to the career and the year in general, David Montgomery is starting to live up to his infamous running back Frankenstein graphic that some random ESPN intern made once and has been circulated around Twitter ever since. Maybe David Montgomery actually does have the feet of Saquon Barkley (laughs) and the strength of Ezekiel Elliott and the vision of Le'Veon Bell and the athleticism of Sony Michelle question mark. I'm not sure about that one so much. I mean, I feel like Sony Michelle would be lucky to have David Montgomery's athleticism at this point. How much do you believe in David Montgomery at this point? Do you think that this league winning end of the year that he has had that has just been absolutely groundbreaking is real? Is he actually good? Is it completely purely matchup based because he's had the ultimate run of positive matchups coming off of a 32 attempt game for 146 and two. It's hard to consider what David Montgomery's done over the last month as simply an anomaly at this point. Yeah, I think it's a a combination of both. I would say 50-50 because I don't think he's one of the more talented running backs in the league, but I don't think he's a scrub. And the Bears have by far the best running back schedule in the NFL, or they did coming into like week eight when we knew what teams had the worst run defenses. If you looked at DeMont's schedule, it was just mouthwatering. And that was part of the reason why I traded uh, Joe Mixon for him in our uh, redraft league that w- that we do. Yeah, I-, I think it's a combination of both. I think he, I think he's a good running back and he, he like has been leading the league in broken tackles. Um, He was up there last season in broken tackles as well. Just never has shown explosiveness or the ability to break big plays off, which he has in this five-game stretch or a six-game stretch or, or however many games he's been snapping. I, I think he's coming around. I, I think they just needed to make him the focal point, and they finally did that, and it's working out, and the Bears are winning games, and he's producing. So shout-out to David Montgomery. Yeah, I'm willing to throw away some of like the negative stigma that I've carried about him as just sort of being like an average guy who's getting enough usage to push his numbers up. I think that he might be legit good or at least legit decent. You know, he's been kind of hampered by, an offense led by Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. And we see Mitch Trubisky turning it around, playing the best he's ever played. Now, I don't know if I believe in that either, but I think that at least with the offense moving in the right direction, David Montgomery will find himself in better position and he's absolutely capitalized on that. He'll be an interesting player to project for 2021 and sort of see how the fantasy community as a whole reacts to the ending of David Montgomery. I have a feeling that he might get overrated going into next offseason. And he might be, you know, if he's getting drafted in the third round of best ball leagues, I mean, God, I mean, I don't know if I could if I could go that far, to be honest. Yeah, probably wouldn't go that far. 
uh, especially with Tariq Cohen, going to be healthy for the start of next year, and he will siphon all of David Montgomery's uh, passing game role right now. So wouldn't go that far, but in 2020 for this season, he's been a league winner. And if you traded for him earlier in the season because you looked at his schedule, it's paying off right now when you need it the most if you made the playoffs. Yeah, definition of a league winner. Let's talk about another running back who got it done today. Salvin Ahmed for Miami had 23 attempts for 122 yards and a touchdown. It emerged on Twitter that he did it for his sick grandma who's in the hospital right now. And he promised her that he would run for 100 yards. And he kept his promise. Kept Miami in the playoff hopes. And in the process, Joey, he knocked out your beloved Patriots. No shot of making the playoffs. They've been mathematically eliminated. And I mean, the last time that happened was 2008. You know, you were just learning about your body in 2008. (laughs) So I just wanted to do a little mental health check, see how you're doing. It's been many Many years since you've had to deal with a January playoff scenario without the New England Patriots in it. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm chilling. Good to hear. Obviously, tough scenes all around for the Patriots, but I considered this a loss season either way. Because, you know, if we win games and make the playoffs, it's not going to help us rebuild our team. And obviously, we have Bill Belichick, who his ego is way too high for him to tank. Right. So we're not going to lose games and we're not in a tough division or we weren't projected to be in a tough division coming into the season besides the Bills. So, yeah, I mean, it it was just a tough year for the Patriots. And hopefully they just uh, throw these last two games away, improve their draft position. And we uh, go into next season with a new quarterback, some wide receivers, maybe uh, a tight end or two. And a couple linebackers, and we'll we'll be back in the mix, 100%. So basically, they just have to draft an entire new roster, (laughs) and they'll be good? (laughs) A new offense. The defense is fine, especially uh, when they get the players that opted out due to COVID, because the Patriots had the most opt-outs in the NFL. Kind of a forgotten story about the Patriots a little bit. They had like 11 or 12 starters opt out or something stupid like that which obviously hurt the defense a lot and the offense so uh when when we get those players back it'll be a different story next year for sure i hope so for your sake at least we learned that cam newton just ain't it yeah he's done cam newton is toast yeah i mean he, he i know he went there with the hopes of like rejuvenating his career you know gets to follow up Tom Brady gets to be on a team with a good defense, good coach. Maybe he rejuvenates his career, and he did the exact opposite. He kind of torched his future possibilities with this this outing in 2020. Yeah, and he has looked bad, but I will also say the Patriots' offense is just bad in general. So I I, th- I think that he will get a chance somewhere else in the NFL. Like, if he was on Carolina right now, they would have more wins with Cam Newton rather than Teddy Bridgewater. Mm. I believe that. Interesting. So I think he I, I just I think he needs pieces around him to to be good. And he 
doesn't have that in New England, obviously. But if he goes to a team where they have solid wide receivers, because he's never really had that in his career. If you look back to his days in Carolina, they really never surrounded him with a bunch of talent really up until he left Carolina or they released him, I should say. I I still think he gets a chance in the NFL. And, you know, I, I don't think he's terrible, but I don't think he's great. He's not the same MVP player that he was five years ago. And he, he'll be a serviceable starter. Um, I don't know if he has the upside to take a team to a Super Bowl unless they have a stacked team around him like the Saints or, or something like that. But other than that, yeah, Cam Newton is, is nothing special anymore. And, you know, sucks to see. While we're on the subject of the AFC East, one of the biggest stories to emerge out of Week 15 was the Jets upset over the Rams dodging 0-16. Let's just give them a a quick, you know, a little round of applause. You guys did it. You got to win. Congratulations. (laughs) 1-15. You won in week 15, and as a price, you probably lost out on one of the better quarterback prospects of all time. You got the win. I'm very happy for you in a complete loss season, and it might come back to bite your franchise for the next 15 years. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, God. What an epic tank job by the the New York Jets. You just hate to see it. You know, as a Patriots fan, it's pretty lit that they're going to lose out on Trevor Lawrence now because there's no way the Jacks win one of these games. No shot. Unless there's some secret packs or some secret deals made on the side where... You know, like the Jets send the Jaguars a couple billion dollars and they're like, hey, like, you know, lose a game or two. There's no shot the Jags win, right? Like next two weeks, they've got home against the Bears, home against the Mitch Trubisky. So I won't say it's impossible. Very unlikely, though. And then on the road against a Colts team that'll be squarely in contention for the playoffs. I don't see them having any shot in that game. So really their only chance is for a Trubisky, AKA trash biscuit meltdown next week at home. Yeah. Which is very possible. Don't get me wrong, but they're definitely not going to try and win like at all. There, there's no shot, right? Like they're, no. they're not coming out to win. They're they just, just got go- the best Christmas gift of, of the year. L- literally of all time. For their franchise. Here you go. Here's 15 years of a great quarterback. Uh, but hey, at least we won against Jared Goff in week 15 of a completely lost season. God. I mean, here's what I think they're going to do. Now that it's most likely a guarantee that they're going to get the number two overall pick and Jacksonville is going to get the number one based on strength of schedule or however they do it. I just know the Jags are going to get the one now if they both end one and 15, which it look, which it's looking like they both will. I, what I think will happen is the Jets will sign Dak, who's a free agent, right? After this year, he's hurt though, but they're going to sign Dak, trade Sam Darnold for a pick or two, and then they could trade out of the two spot if they sign Dak to a heavy contract, which I think is very possible. I think they could throw Dak a huge bag. They have one of the uh, highest salary caps in the NFL, um, free salary cap, I should say, uh, like the most amount of money to spend. They're, that's my prediction. I think they signed Dak as their future uh, now that they lost out on Trevor. Trade Sam, and they surround Dak with some key pieces on offense, whether that be O-line, a wide receiver, or, you know, a running back. 
That that's the that's the route that the Jets are going, I think. There's absolutely no shot that Dak Prescott opts to be the face of a terrible franchise in the New York Jets over America's team where he's already surrounded by some of the best talent in the league. CeeDee Lamb, one of the most promising young wide receivers, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, ready to bounce back with a real quarterback. I mean, they were on a record-setting pace before Dak got hurt. On one hand, there's no chance that the Cowboys are letting him out the building. And on the other hand, I don't see why he would ever make that move. Like, yeah, let me go throw balls to Brashad Perryman and and Braxton Berrios instead of CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. No shot not enough money in the world to make him make that decision i don't think but the cowboys won't offer him what he wants the jets will he turned down what two contract offers from the cowboys this offseason where they were you know electing to pay him hundreds of millions of dollars and he said no yeah, but they got they so got a hard reality check there. though. They got a reality check. They were like, you know, we don't we don't need Dak. We can get it done with Ezekiel Elliott. I think they learned their lesson. So you think they're gonna they're gonna give Dak what he wants and he's gonna stay? I think they're gonna give Dak slightly lower than Mahomes level type contract. Like I think they'll give him like a Russell Wilson s contract. Like I don't think that there's any shot Dak Prescott leaves Dallas, and the sooner that they sign him, the better for us because it's just gonna be a pointless debate cycle where we're like oh is Dak leaving is he staying he's he's staying so the sooner that happens the better for us so we don't have to debate it pointlessly (laughs) I, I believe that truthfully I don't think he's going anywhere this season proved how valuable he is to the Cowboys by far because they completely fell apart once he left after having a borderline record setting off Okay, I mean, uh, we'll I see. think I think he could leave Dallas. I'm I'm open to the possibility of it. Could be. I th- I think that there will be quarterbacks on the moves. Guys like Stafford. Guys like uh, Kirk Cousins potentially. But oh yeah, yeah. I th- I think Stafford, Kirk, Matt Ryan. I I think could be on the move. Um, Cam Newton, obviously. There, there's going to be a lot of quarterback movement in the off season, uh, which is, which is going to be fun to uh, watch how all of that plays out. Man, can I just say, by the way, Matthew Stafford, you know, the Lions, by the way, my favorite team also got mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but it wasn't really newsworthy because, you know, the first thing they teach you in journalism school is for something to be news, it has to be out of the ordinary. So the Lions not making the playoffs is just, you know, your standard Sunday afternoon. That that wasn't shocking to me. <laughs> but I will say, quote from Stafford after the game, they're like, yo, it was really surprising that you made it back. How did you do it? Why did you do it? And he's like, you know, if I'm healthy... I'm the I'm the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. I'm going to get my ass out there and play. If I'm physically able to, I'm going to do it. And that's why Stafford is the greatest. And even if he leaves Detroit, I will be rooting for him to finally be with a more functional franchise. Love the man. Got a lot of heart. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he definitely does. Yes. All right. <clears throat> One more story to close things out. In the late afternoon game and the Chiefs game, we saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire suffer an injury, a leg injury. It looked bad. It seems that x-rays have come in negative for something like an ACL, but we're not sure what the injury is. It looked serious. I doubt that he plays next week. So gut reaction, you know, say you made it week 16 of your redraft league, your home league, you're in, you're in the finals. You're looking at Le'Veon Bell. Do you trust him at home against the Falcons? Hell no. I'm not playing Lev Bell against the Falcons. He's essentially Leonard Fournette. He had 15 touches today and a a touchdown. No, he sucks. Le'Veon Bell sucks. I would not play him at all. 
I, I don't give a fuck. I, I would not play him unless you really need to. Like, if you really have to play him, then obviously play him because he's in one of the best offenses in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes. And it, it, it'll be a solid matchup against the Falcons. But nah, nah, no thanks. Now, I'm going to have to check the waiver wire, but if he's available, I'm, I'm picking him up and I'm playing him against you next week. Joey and I are in the final round of our home league right now. Week 16, final two teams. I mean, unless Juju Smith-Schuster goes for 50 tomorrow, I'll be locked in. Joey dropped like 200 points this week, secured his you know, spot in the finals. So we're going to be going toe-to-toe. Um, I will say, just looking at the matchups a, a little bit briefly before the show, I would say Joey's maybe like a, a 110 favorite against me right now. Small favorite. I did lose Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, hence why yeah, I kind of brought this up. That's tough. Um, that, that's tough. It's fine. He probably would have gotten like 11 points either way. Maybe I'll play somebody better as a result. But I mean, God, if Le'Veon Bell's on waivers, I might pick him up and I might play him against you in the finals. I really might. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that idea because uh, <laughs> I think I think that'd be a bad start, to be honest. How nervous are you? You know, I'm coming in as the sixth seed. Won my first matchup, won my second matchup against the one seed, took his ass down. I kind of have the momentum, I feel like, going into this. I mean, <laughs> one to ten, how worried are you? <laughs> I mean, I'm not worried at all, to be honest. Um, Oof. Disrespectful. Nah, I, I think it'll be a good matchup and maybe the best team win. Um, I think both of our players have some tough matchups next week, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out it will indeed and and maybe if we're lucky I, I didn't look at the times like of our players and stuff but if we're lucky maybe we'll get like a live sweat during the time that we're recording this podcast next week that would be fun <laughs> yeah i think it just depends on who we start next week but as it stands right now i don't have anybody that i can play on sunday night football all right i'll have to take a look after this that's something to uh to keep an eye on if you're interested but that is going to be it for episode 119 of the dfs dose podcast thank you guys for listening appreciate the podcast get you know i feel a little more alive after recording for an hour mm-hmm. i was completely dead at the start and you probably heard it in my voice but Good to talk about football. Good to recap the process. Feel it feels good. Um, if you guys want to support us, we would appreciate it. You can do so, like Joey said at the top of the show, by subscribing to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether it's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Like Joey said, we just hit that 150 subscriber mark on YouTube. Help us get to 160 before the season ends. That would be great. And finally, join the DFS Dose Discord channel. Like Joey said, we love having the conversations. It's growing every week, people coming in. So that is awesome. Follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right. We will be back next week for some holiday week DFS talk. Definitely going to have the show on Thursday previewing the main slate. There is another two game slate on Saturday. So I'm sure we'll have some content out surrounding that. And we'll talk to you guys then.